Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It is 18 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on kind of an overcast-looking morning, but... A little bit warmer. That's the good news this morning. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. A lot we've discussed already so far this morning, including the Pacers, Kentucky hats. We'll probably get into that later in the show. Uh, Purdue and Indiana College basketball conversation, the Hoosiers and Rutgers tonight. But back to the Colts head coaching question. This is a really good question, I thought, from John that I wanted to read to you, Kevin, thought you might have some good insight here. Because I think we look at this and we look at how drawn out this is for the Colts. And to the Colts' credit, this is exactly what... And I'll give Chris Ballard this credit. Chris Ballard is pretty transparent a lot of times of we can sit here and overanalyze things and it's like, guys, this is exactly what I told you was going to happen. And this is pretty much what he said was going to happen, right? That it was going to be a lengthy process that could go into mid-February. And here we are closing in on that. But John says, guys, how did normal NFL teams hire coaches? Does the GM drive the bus and the owner gives final approval? Seems like Ursay drives the bus and has final say. Two things. Why have Ballard and why would any coach want to come into what looks like a dysfunctional mess? Yeah, it's a very fair uh, question from John there. I think it really depends on teams. I think there are a lot of ownership groups that take a back seat. Um and then, you know, they might, whatever. Okay, there's three finalists. I'll come in then and meet with the three finalists. Some owners, I think, a little bit more upfront, and they want to be involved in the process from day one. Um, you know, something that I feel like has delayed this search a bit, Jake, is Jim Mercer not wanting to be involved in that first round of interviews. So basically, when you get to round two, you're almost starting over because the interviews have to be lengthy in time because it's Jim Irsay's really first time to get to know a lot of these candidates. So I think a lot of it depends on how the owners and how involved they want to be. I mean, Mark certainly has seen it firsthand that the Bears ownership group did not want to be heavily involved prior. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it just depends on what you have from an organizational standpoint. I, I do go back to an Ursay comment, again, the night that Jeff Saturday was hired as the interim, and he made it very clear, when you're looking for head coaches, leadership is the number one thing. That's number one. And now, he said that in early November, we've just seen a playoff cycle play out where the offensive coaches continue to dominate in the postseason, and you're in a championship game where you have a retread in Andy Reid and you have a first-time head coach in Nick Sirianni, but the theme between both of them is they come from the offensive side of the ball. I know some people were curious about who would fall into that leadership category. Jake, there's a couple that I would throw in there. One would be Rich Bisaccia, who is a longtime special teams coordinator. He's currently with the Packers. The thing that stands out most on his resume was with the Raiders two years ago when John Gruden resigned and they had all the just really off the awful off the field incidents. Sachi came in as interim, seven and five record, led them to the playoffs. And Gus Bradley was on that staff as defensive coordinator. A couple other Colts defensive coaches were on that staff. Rod Marinelli 
was on that staff. For those unfamiliar with him, that is a extremely close confidant to Chris Ballard, longtime NFL assistant. Uh, Basaccia's resume is pretty much special teams coordinator and assistant head coach throughout his NFL career. So I think he would qualify as someone you would put there. And then you go back to the Wink Martindale conversation. Remember when we had Chuck Pagano on? And this would have been, what, a week or two into the coaching search? Right. One of the things Chuck said to us at the end of that conversation was, you know, you guys, I think he thought we were actually going to talk to Wink Martindale. He's like, you guys would love Wink. He is Bruce Arians. And know full well how much Chris Bowden and Jim Irsay adored Bruce Arians. Um, in Ballard's case, a little bit more from afar. Ursay's case, of course, seen it uphand, or f- firsthand, I should say. Those are the two to me, Jake, along with a little bit of Aaron Glenn, along with some Raheem Morris, but those two are like, when you talk about leader, that's why I think they've made it further here than maybe their names have popped up in other areas. I could see that. I, I think, here's the reality, Kevin. And maybe I'm, maybe it's dangerous of me in this position to say this. I think we can all read tea leaves or scrutinize as to who we think is the clubhouse leader, but I don't know that the Colts know yet who is the clubhouse leader. I think they probably got four or five people right. If there was a if there was a clear cut, if there was a clear cut candidate for the Colts, they would have hired him by now, right? Unless they're waiting on somebody who is still coaching. Yeah, I think the deeper it gets into the week and you don't hear any leaks, doesn't that mean a Shane Steichen and Eric Bieniemy? That's what it would seem certain, right? I want to play this Chris Bauer clip, and this was a month ago now um, because the search has now gone on for a month. But, Jake, to the point you were making earlier, Chris Ballard's words, and again, I know a lot of fans are pissed off about it, but his words have pretty much turned into action. And don't start with an end in mind, okay? It's big. You know, a lot of times what happens is you get a vision of what you want before you, I mean, like, you've made your mind up, and then you might ignore somebody that's really freaking good right in front of your face. So we've got a very detailed process put together on the traits and attributes we're looking for in the head coach. Don't care what side of the ball. Um, And then to be patient and take your time and make sure we have a thorough interview with everybody. Consistent, thorough. Um, I don't care if it takes till mid-February to hire the head coach. It's about getting it right. The only thing, and this is, I respect all that. It's kind of scary how much he's followed that plan. Consistent, thorough, mid-February. No wind in sight. The, the the one thing that I think a lot of people feel is the possibility. I think people are starting to wonder if there's the possibility that the Colts actually didn't know what they were looking for and went into it figuring that they didn't know what they were looking for until it finally would pop up in front of them. And that has yet to happen. It's hard to believe that's the case, and I feel like kind of an idiot for even presenting that, but it's the longer it goes, does it not feel that way? Yeah, I just think it's I mean, so... at this point, what are they going to learn about a candidate they don't already know? Well, I, I don't necessarily think, Jake, they're going to sit down and do any, if 
many, if any, more interviews. I think they right. could have just gotten together yesterday and get together again today and say, all right, let's make a decision. Um, and then, you know, we'll see how they internally want to decide and making that public in terms of the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, if the candidate is in that game, um, how they want to react to all of that. Um, I think one thing that I wanted to look at as well with the two offensive coaches, because if you look at the final seven names, um, again, we, we mentioned some of those leader, quote-unquote, guys just a minute ago. Raheem Morris, Wink Martindale, Rich Bisaccia, Aaron Glenn. The two offensive names, Shane Steichen and Brian Callahan. Jake, do you consider it more of a pro that Shane Steichen is calling for him, that he's calling the plays in the Super Bowl, or more of a pro that Brian Callahan is the son of an NFL head coach? Oh, the former. Right? Calling plays in the Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, I think experience of a guy is far more important than his nepotism, don't you? Yeah, and again, nepotism always comes with a negative connotation with it. Well, then his genetics. Yeah, I think experience, Brian Callahan has some of that because he's been around the game for so, so long, and he's seen the good and the bad. Both of them, let me say this, Kevin, both of those situations, a guy calling plays in the Super Bowl, a guy whose father has been an NFL head coach, both of those things are going to serve the same positive attribute, and that is protect a guy from getting completely lost in the moment or, right. or overwhelmed in the big moment. For him. Correct. I think what you like about Steichen is he feels that game day pressure really to the nth degree. You know, I mean, he's he's the one that's going to get scrutinized. If the Bengals have a bad day offensively, it goes Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, and then it would go to, to Brian Callahan. Their quarterback resume, I also think, is interesting. Callahan probably has the more decorated one. And again, that's the Peyton Manning. You have Manning... He was a position coach for Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, and then, of course, most recently with Burrow. Yeah, I mean, that's... That speaks for itself. But, Jake, if you look at Steichen, he's probably has a little bit more of the development piece. Now, he had several years with Phillip Rivers. Of course, you didn't need to develop Phillip Rivers at, at that point in his career. But he was the OC for Justin Herbert for a season, and then most recently, of course, has been with Jalen Hurts for the last two years. Considering your desperate need to develop a young quarterback here, would you side more Steichen? Yes, because, because he's got the young quarterback. I, I think with Callahan, you could certainly make the argument. Unfair it may be. How, how many of those guys? Give me the four that Callahan worked with again. Peyton Manning. And how long had Peyton Manning met a quarterback when he got him? I think it was like his first year in Denver. So you know, okay, well over a decade. Okay, uh, with Matthew Stafford, with Derek Carr, and Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was the one that he would have gotten as a young player, right? The rest of them had been right. were on autopilot, right? So how do you look at that? Do you look at, well, he wasn't really part of their development, but what did he maybe learn in watching Stafford, I, now that watching is, Carr, that's watching That's the thing, right? Manning. And how does he apply that? That's what you got to see. I mean, Joe Burrow is obviously an elite-level player, but he's also thrown to elite-level receivers. I, I And all of Callahan's QBs, Jake, I think are a similar style. They're mostly pocket passers. Correct. Pure you, passers, yes. Whereas you look at Steichen, a little bit more variety. Rivers, certainly a pocket passer. I go back to, again, Kevin, I, I, I'm i the guy that is a bigger believer in the Jimmy and Joes than the X's and O's. You know, I mean... Which, that kind of attracts me to Callahan a little bit. And, Raleigh and, Massimino was a great coach at Villanova and a bad one at Cleveland State. You know? 
Yeah, players not not plays. By the way, Antonio Gates and Sean Merriman were on The Bachelor last night. Sean Merriman, really? he would do the lights out celebration. Isn't Sean Merriman, isn't he the one that had, didn't he date, uh, what was her name, Tia Tequila? I thought he had some interesting off the field Yeah, he's had some issues, right? Life, I'm surprised yeah. that they would put him on a show, honestly. Kidding aside, I'm surprised that they would put him in a show like that because didn't he have some no, I looked up pretty there, ugly I like, stuff? Is that Sean Merriman? Gates, I've always heard great things. I've briefly talked to them. I've always heard good things about him. Uh, Tim asked this. Do you think Chris Bowd regrets having the opportunity to hire Mike Vrabel when he was too focused on Josh McDaniels? Without question. Think so? That's the end in sight comment. When he says end in sight, that clip that we just played, that is 1,000% it. He walked in there. And he wanted Josh McDaniels, and he interviewed guys just to interview guys, and wasn't thorough. I don't, and these are my words, um, with a little bit of education in it. And that's why I think a guy like Aaron Glenn, Jake, who you had the dream about the other night, that's right. Which that'll be nice if he gets hired. That'll be a nice little icebreaker. Um, that's why I think he has made it this far in the process because I think his resume, his background, his style, blunt, aggressive, I think it's got some Vrabel vibes to it. Are you hoping that Aaron Glenn gets hired just because I had the dream while I was underneath the um, the wackiness of the vaccine? Oh, yeah, God, I was nervous where you are going with that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a little, I could totally see, you know. That'd get us off on the right foot, wouldn't it? It's being like, yeah, we're going to hold off maybe on, you no, know, maybe you guys so. can, you know, touch base at training camp. I think they'd, I think they'd find it fun. Yeah, Aaron, I had a dream about you. <laughs> it was a vision. It wasn't a dream, it was a vision. It was a fever dream vision. Gosh. Yes. Now you really sound like Jeff Saturday, you know, in his pitch. I've got a vision. Okay. Significant change. Haven't heard much about Jeff Saturday. It seems to... You would think if Jeff Saturday got word that he was not going to be the head coach, wouldn't ESPN look at him this week and be like, oh, he'd be a good person to throw on our uh, telecast this week? Good point. I still think he's in the mix. Boy, I I do not, but with Jim Irsay, you know. I'm well, telling you. I say you know. You really never know. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. All right, we're going to get back into the Colts head coaching search conversation. Uh, we're now, I think, a month into it. Play the Chris Bauer audio. His comments about a month ago have certainly held true and not making life too much easier for our next guest. That would be Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star. Joel joins us here. Joel, what would you say the biggest con is in the Colts waiting as long as they are waiting to hire a head coach? Uh, I think you worry about if there's assistance that might get snapped up elsewhere. Um, you know, it, it, these guys present uh, a range of options. I think, I think um, you know, I was reading Albert Breer's story about, about Frank Reich telling Carolina he had three or four defensive coordinator options. Well, you can't necessarily say I'm going to hire this guy. It'd be really hard to know for sure you're going to get somebody unless it's, you know, somebody that is probably your closest friend in the business. And they said, hey, if you ever get something, I'm coming wherever you are. So you got to have a range of options for what you want to do to to, to fix to finish your vision. And, you know, we saw with, with Flores and, and Averro that, that sometimes those guys take jobs. So, um I don't necessarily know that it's going to hurt them on the defensive side of the ball because it seems like maybe Gus Bradley's in play to stick around. Um, but you, you still want to have uh, your pick of the litter. Um, offensive coordinator-wise, I don't know if it's really hurt them as much as I would have thought. There's so many openings, but I don't know if anybody that I've seen go off the board yet is, is like a must-get to me. Do, do you get the impression, like in Evero's case, and taking the job with Frank Wright in Carolina, that you know he was a second interview guy here? Do you think the Colts are starting to tell candidates no? Uh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't take the defensive coordinator job if you thought you had a shot at the Colts. Right. So I, I think that I think that at the very least, um, some agents kind of know where where things are headed. Now I'll say this: the lack of Reporting on what's headed next means that, like, that they haven't been able to eliminate guys based on that. But yeah, I, Avera, you wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine Avera would take a, a defensive coordinator job in Carolina over a, a potential head coaching shot. That's why I also thought it was interesting that Flores took the the Vikings job yesterday because he, I believe, he he still had a second interview scheduled in Arizona. So you wonder what what else they know about the Arizona search. I'd like to ask this, Joel. Joel A. Erickson is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know, it came out yesterday that the Colts essentially said Gus Bradley is not going to be allowed. They're not going to grant permission for him to talk to other teams about a defensive coordinator position. So, in other words, lateral movement. That, to me, didn't seem unusual because I thought, well, yeah, I mean, you're not denying a guy from moving up. You're just simply saying, if you're going to be a D coordinator, it's going to be here because you're under contract. But should we read into that anything at all? Not necessarily because it's, it's, um, it's not as uncommon as it might seem. I read the same thing about Arizona with Vance Joseph. They haven't let Vance Joseph out of his contract yet. Uh, and I believe 
Avero was still under contract in Denver, and then they just released him a couple days ago, and then he had a job like he had a job very quickly after that. So I, I think that. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. If you feel like you want to have your ducks in a row as a coach, you feel like, hey, you need to let me out of this. It, I think some of what we've seen from around the league is that teams kind of do this. They hang on to guys for a little bit, and then, and then, depending on what the head coach wants, then they make a decision. And there's there's probably enough coordinator jobs out there that I think Gus Bradley's fine if if the new head coach doesn't, you know, wants to go somewhere else. I'm trying to think of the names, Joel, that. Gus Bradley has a direct connection to um, on the candidate list. Raheem Morris, Rich Passaccia, anybody else that I'm forgetting? Morris, Passaccia, um, I think I think those are the two. But Gus has been around so long. Gus has been around so long and coached in so many places that I think that you probably have uh, a lot of people who at the very least know him like uh, the thing that the kind of i always think about with this is like last year when the bears hired ryan poles we found out that him and matt Eberflus had this like had this long-standing relationship going back uh, a long way in the league even though they hadn't really worked together all that much and so um that's that's one of the things to remember too with this is that even if there isn't a direct connection sometimes there's a connection that happens just in league circles and guys talking to each other and learning from each other during the offseason. And obviously if you hire the offensive coaches, you know that might be a pairing that Chris Bauer has thrown out there for them, and they might uh, be a fan of that. Again, Joel A. Erickson is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, debate that Jake and I have had for you know a little bit over a week now is this whole the offensive hire or the leader hire. And obviously you would find a happy medium. The trend of the offensive coaches having success in today's NFL speaks for itself. But the leader, that element, I, to me, just means so much to Chris Bowden and Jim Irsay. Hell, it's something Irsay threw out there the night that he uh, hired Jeff Saturday. Where do you think Ballard and Irsay side on that sort of debate? Offensive mind versus leader. Uh, well, just from the from the list of candidates that they put together, you know, if you were if you were really set on the offensive mind, you'd have done what Carolina did. Where that's that's all they brought in, other than Steve Wilkes was offensive coordinators, offensive minds. Carolina is interesting in this discussion because Dave Tepper said at the at Frank Reich's introductory press conference, "We've done the CEO thing, and we know it doesn't work." Referring to Matt Rule, um, but I think I think that the Colts would disagree just based on what Ballard said um, and, and the search. You know, it was basically even between offensive and defensive coordinators. You threw a couple special teams coordinators in there. I, I think that, to me, sort of the idea of the true CEO where he's not doesn't have his hands in the pie in any X's and O's on either side of the ball, that's probably not workable or tenable in the NFL. I, I, I don't think there's really anybody that does that anymore. Um, but... But obviously, you can have people who who delegate and they can they can influence what's going on without necessarily having to have direct control. Like you know, we always think of offensive coordinators having play calling, but I know Dennis Allen does the play calling in in New Orleans for the defense. Um, I think I think it's the the new CEO role is more of a maybe I'm not play calling, maybe I'm not coordinating, but they're still influencing that kind of stuff on the on both sides of the ball. Joel, do you think Jeff Saturday's still? In the upper quartile of upper quartiles of candidates, 
I I think only I think only Jim Marsey knows that. Um, I I can't imagine that after all of these interviews, um, just going through so the, the the resume some of these guys have built, the stuff that they've learned. Like you spend twelve hours with a guy, you're going to find out a lot about what they've learned in the NFL. Like you know, some of these guys have. A lot, of the, a lot of these guys are decade-long lifers who've been doing stuff. I, I find it hard to believe that um, his, his depth of experience or breadth of experience is enough to, to put him over some of these guys. But that, that was true when they made the interim hire, too. So it's like when I start talking about like the possibility of them hiring him and all the ramifications, it sounds impossible to me. But hiring him as interim would have sounded impossible to me. So... Joel, do you know, did Chris Bauer go to the Senior Bowl last week? I don't believe so. I could be wrong on that, but I don't think so. I think he was here doing interviews. You know, another part that I feel like has kind of dragged this along a bit, and again, Ballard's words indicated this would likely be the what's happening, but like Jim Mersey deciding not to take part in much, if any, of the first round, it almost was like the second round was an introduction to Ursay. So you had to be extremely thorough. You wanted to bring in a lot of candidates for that process. You know, maybe if Ursay gets involved in round one, maybe we have this wrapped up by now. Yeah, I think that's possible. One of the other things I keep thinking about the cold search, though, is that at this point, they really haven't, with the exception of D'Amico Ryans, who they wanted to talk to and didn't get. Uh, and that one sounds like... Just from everything he said about Houston, that sounds like a homecoming for him. Sure. Um, so maybe maybe they had a, had a real... Yeah, maybe they had a pretty big disadvantage in that one anyway. Uh, it, I don't know that they've... At least from their candidate pool, they haven't necessarily missed out on anybody that they wanted to have as a second interview. You know, Arizona's bringing back, what, Kafka and Anarumo for second interviews? Kafka didn't, as far as we know, didn't make it to the second round here. Um, Sean Payton was never involved here. Obviously, Frank Reich wasn't involved here. So, they, as uh, it is taking, it is taking long. Obviously, you know, Carolina's had a coach for a while now. Same thing with Denver. Um, same thing with Houston. But I don't necessarily know that of the candidate pool that they built. I don't know that it it hurt them in terms of losing anybody because some of the guys that they that have gone elsewhere, they never really had a shot at. Just in terms of Payton um, and, and Ryan's. You know, I let me ask you this, Joel. I'm going to go back to the Saturday question, and I apologize for that. But I, I felt like, and I've asked this before, but I want to circle back to it because I think these things are fluid. When Saturday was named the interim, I truly believe this. I truly believe that Jim Irsay thought that he was going to be seen as an outside-the-box visionary that duped everybody. And I think that he thought that people were going to praise him for that hire and it went absolutely the other way which I think caused him to kind of double down a little bit does he stand by that and is he influenced and continually driven by a second desire to prove everybody wrong or has enough time passed where he says all right I'll move on from it well, I, so I think that there, I think that there, there's a difference between the two, and I think the difference is in the fan base locally. Um, like, I, when they made the interim hire, there was a significant portion of the local fan base that was like, "Hey, screw all those guys saying that this is a bad hire." Um, yeah, that's correct. You know, like this, like 
he, we, we can do what we want. We didn't want Frank Reich anymore. We got rid of him. Thank goodness. I don't, I don't care who they bring in. I think he's got a shot. And, and Joe Thomas and Bill Cowher can go to hell. And uh, that's not that's not where people are anymore. And so, I, 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 to me, that would be the big difference. Is before he was kind of defiantly standing up, sort of. It kind of felt like an indie against the worldish type thing. I mean, not to say that not to say that there weren't. I, I think there was a significant portion of the Indianapolis media base, me included, that that weren't that were very skeptical of the hire from the beginning. But there was sort of an indie against the world thing going on at the beginning that's not really going on now, um, especially with the fan base uh, just not being on board with it. So I think that's a pretty big difference. Is you know, it's easy to say it's easy to say, hey, the outsiders are all wrong. It's a lot harder to say, hey, my fan base is all wrong, and I want to make them mad. Kenny's okay, Joel Erickson from the Start is an outstanding job covering the Colts alongside Nate Atkins. Um, Joel, I saw Eric Bannamy's comments last night from Super Bowl Media Night referencing the Colts interview that he had and feels like he's still involved there. Did you see anything Shane Steichen related on comments he had? Uh, I missed. I, I, I haven't seen any. Uh, I actually had kind of set up this morning to see if I could go back and find some Steichen stuff. I, I didn't I didn't see if there was a, a, a good comment from him. Bannamy is interesting because... So this is the thing I keep telling myself with Bannamy... And it's hard to, uh, it's, it's just sort of a, a possibility that I have to hang out there. Is obviously it wasn't reported that he was in for a second interview, but Ballard has a lot of history with him. And that was also the quietest interview. Right. If, if, if people remember of the first that one interviews. It, that one wasn't reported ahead of time. It just at like 10.30 or 9.30 or something like that one night. It was just, hey, the Colts just said, hey, Eric, we had me interviewed here. Um, so... So that one, that, that's the thing I keep trying to remind myself is, is with all these other guys, it's been a quiet search, but with all these other guys, there's at least been a report or something saying, hey, this person is going to interview. The enemy is the guy that we've had the least on. And so that's one of the things I keep trying to remind myself of with him is we might not have as much information on him because we didn't have as much information on him at the start. Uh, that's Him and Basaccia, I think, were the only ones who just, like, the Colts just made a tweet, and everyone was like, oh, wait, this person interviewed. We didn't have any advance notice at all. The later we get into this week with no leaks, does that mean Shane Steichen or Eric Bieniemy to you? It feels like that. It does feel like that, because I think if it wasn't one of those two, I feel like you can... You could agree to terms, like you could do what Carolina did. Carolina announced that Reich was getting hired, and then they didn't do the press conference right. until after same thing Denver the did. championship games. Yeah, Denver did the same thing, and so I think if it's somebody who's if it's somebody who, if they decide they're deciding on somebody who's not in the Super Bowl, I think you could probably do the same sort of thing, um, and, and not because not because you don't want to have the press conference necessarily, just because like what the NFL wants to do, but. Like, if you're making a head coach hire, don't you want to, like, have all the attention on you as opposed to having stuff going on out in Arizona that people are paying attention? Um, so, I, But I still think you could. I still think it would get out. I think that the, the further it gets, it does feel like it's one of the two offensive coordinators. At this point, it kind of feels to me, Joel, like, you know, other than your staff or some of the coaches you have on staff wanting to know, there's no urgency at this point, right? You've kind of, unless you're going toe-to-toe with Arizona, 
you kind of ridden the wave, right? Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I mean, as from what we, and from what, from what we know about the Arizona search, uh, there's no conflict there. So you can you can do what you want. I mean, Frank Reich put together a pretty good staff, a, a very good staff, considering that two of them are head coaches and Jonathan Gannon's, you know, being talked about as a potential head coach. He put together a very good staff, and he was hired well after the Super Bowl last time. So. There, there's there's a reminder here that as much as you want resolution, as much as I think Colts fans want to know who the head coach is, you can still put together a good initial staff uh, without having to without having to have the hire done now. I think that's probably why Ballard. It's funny with Ballard because a lot of times this happens with draft weekend, but it's happening with this coaching search. Ballard says something like, "This might take till mid February," and everyone's like, "We kind of forget about it." just in the way we cover it, and then it turns out that it ends up going exactly the way he said it would. Um, and that, that I've been kind of reminding myself that the last couple of days, too. Is Ballard, like KB said, Ballard told us, I don't care if it takes to mid-February to hire the right guy. I want the right guy. Joel, if you had to guess, is there the chance that your Valentine's Day, which is one week from today, is interrupted because of the fact that there is news regarding the Colts coaching search? Yeah, I think there's a chance. <laughs> I think I think there's probably a pretty good chance at this point, um, because as much as as much as we say like you can wait and wait and wait, uh, a combine. I saw this in Albert Breer's column the other day, and it, it just threw me for a loop. The combine's only three weeks away. Yeah, oh, and the yeah. combine is where you start setting. That's where you start setting the roster stuff. It's not just about the draft stuff. That's where you're meeting with. You know, that's where you're getting in touch with teams and stuff and agents about what's going on. Yeah, free agency. agency starts. Yeah, so, like, at some point a decision is going to be made here in the next couple of weeks because a decision has to be made. Like, they have to have a direction to go with, uh, and the head coach has to be a part of that. I think Ballard would say the same thing. So we're, we're going to have a decision here, and if the decision has been made or is about to be made, and, like I said, even if they announce agreed to terms, I think that there's a chance that, Valentine's Day a week from today is, is still in jeopardy just because that might be when the press conference is. Yeah, certainly. Free agency is huge during the combine, and you just need to get your staff in place before that week. All right, Joel, um, what type of spread are we looking at at the Erickson household for the Super Bowl, and we need a Super Bowl pick? Uh, I'm going to go Eagles Super Bowl pick. I hope you're not uh, getting pulled a, over, by the way. I'm not. I'm not oh. getting pulled over. I'm, I'm in the car... Uh, there's a there's a fire uh, department that's not very far from my house, so we get we get a lot of these. Got it. Um, Hope everybody's okay. Uh, and uh, and then as far as the spread, um, I might be going to a friend's house for the Super Bowl. I haven't decided yet. The thing I've been eating this playoff though is like a homemade shrimp ceviche. Whoa! Real easy. You just tell you're us just more stuff up. Or, yeah, you ju- it's just shrimp and uh, avocado and pico, little cilantro. My wife likes to throw like a little bit of a baby cucumber in there for some crunch, and then garlic powder, and then a whole bunch of lime juice, and just kind of mix that up and make your own ceviche at home. Man, gosh, wow. okay, dude, that's a middle finger to pigs in the blanket right there. Jeez, <laughs> man. <laughs> Joel Erickson, not messing around whatsoever there with that spread, and you said the Eagles. Yeah, I, Eagles. Eagles because of the defensive depth and talent. That's that's what I'm banking on. Man, just 
up front and in the secondary. Their D-line talent and their depth there just speaks for itself. Uh, Joel, great stuff. I know this has probably been a bit of a taxing process, so appreciate you entertaining uh, some of these questions. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, guys. You know what I was just thinking about, Kevin? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Literally just thinking about we 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 joke about these rankings, right? And uh-huh. I hope people you realize are fired up. You yeah, sound like there's no joking coming from your end. You sound like Jim Beheim on Selection Sunday. No, we joke about it, but here's the thing: it is a very surreal, admittedly, like realization when you see people that you know going to work every day. And if they're driving places or if they're in an office or whatever it might be that are kind enough to make us part of their morning. And to the three of us, you know, I can't speak for you two, but, you know, like, it ain't like I really like you guys that much. I just come in and we do this and then we go home, right? right. I mean, Coworker, that's, not friend. <laughs> that's right. Coworker. And so, but I, but all kidding aside, to think that, that there are people that can find any way, shape, or form that we actually accentuate their morning experience is truly a very surreal thing. And that's an I, I don't want honestly. people to think that we take it as anything other than entirely flattering and appreciative because it is exactly that. Check out somebody sent me a note um, in the mail the other day of saying, you know, we're part of his morning routine, taking his daughter to school each morning, just wanted to say thank you. I'm like, I should be the one sending you that totally. note. 100% agree on um, that. So thank you um, for that and to everybody out there. It means a lot. A lot of options, a lot of things going on in the morning. So myself, Jake, Mark, and I really, really thank you for that. Uh, let's head to the Payless Liquors hotline right now. Alex Golden, he's a busy man this week. He's been talking a whole lot about the NBA trade deadline. And I don't know, maybe the Turner News last week has quieted some of the Pacers-related topics. But I think when you have the amount of draft picks, you've got a little cap space, you've got some intriguing vets and rookies on the roster, I still think this could be an interesting 48 hours for Indiana. Alex Golden from Setting the Pace joins us right now. 
Alex, we're going to give you full autonomy to start things off, all right? You are Kevin Pritchard. It is Thursday at 9 a.m. Ideally, what would you be trying to get done by the 3 o'clock trade deadline? Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely looking to try to see if I can find a forward that can help our team for the present and the future because I desperately need a forward. I, I, I talked to you about this, KB, last week, and I just don't think the four guards with Turner is going to be something that's long-lasting with this Pacers team moving forward. So I would de- I would definitely look at that, and I would look at what players on the roster need a new home. More than likely, I would try to find a home for Goga Batadze. I would see what my options are for Chris Duarte, even though uh, you just drafted him last year. You do have a log jam, it feels like, at that shooting guard position. And then, other than that, I, I think Daniel Tice is an obvious name you look to try to move as well, just because of the log jam there at the center position. But um, it, it, I think I'm listening more and taking calls more than I'm actively calling and shopping my players at this point. And if there's a big trade that tries to go down, maybe I try to sneak in there as a third team to see if I can kind of help facilitate. I do have a little bit of cap space here with about $10.7 million. So there's other ways they can get involved in the trade deadline as well. Is there, Alex? Let me let me throw a alternate side of it with Daniel Tice. Is there any chance that part of the reason why they've got Tice on the floor now is because they want to see what they have in him, not necessarily even to increase his marketability, but to see if he's a guy they can run with if there is a team that finds Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson to be of intrigue that would fetch more back and that Daniel Tice would alleviate that loss in the roster spot in minutes by freeing up one of those two guys? No, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I think if they were able to move off of Isaiah or Jalen, I don't really think Jalen's value is super high right now. Um, he's someone they could trade as well. I, I forgot to mention him because I've kind of forgotten about him since he's been out of the rotation. But, um, <laughs> you know, Isaiah Jackson's a pretty popular name. I think it would be a mistake to trade him in my opinion, because I think the upside is there. But Daniel Tice, you've already kind of seen what he can do. I think he's a solid backup center. So if they were able to fetch something of, of value and you could keep Daniel Tice as your backup center, it's not the worst idea. But I think at the end of the day, like Tice was not happy about being traded from Boston, Indiana, you know, going from a championship contender to a team that's, you know, on the fringe of playoffs, you know, more in the play-in scenario. So, I'm sure they would like to find him a new home where he can maybe have a chance to be more competitive in the playoffs and have probably a bigger role. But I don't think it's crazy to think that Rick Carlisle is a a fan of him and likes what he brings to the table because defensively, that's one area they're trying to improve. And I think out of all the centers on the team, he's got the the most experience, most playoff experience, and he's probably the, the second best defensive center on the roster as well. So I could see why they would look at that as an option if they could maybe move off somebody but long term I just don't think that makes a lot of sense it's at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter setting the pace a great listen Um, Alex joins us right now to talk about the Pacers trade deadline 3 o'clock on Thursday Jake and I were talking a little bit earlier Alex if you look at their you know depth chart quote unquote right now you have five centers for like one and a half spots and obviously Miles is the one and the half seems to be going to Daniel Tice right now so Isaiah Jackson Jalen Smith Goga not getting minutes what could they get let's say they package Goga and Duarte 
you know, sometimes we just look at this and they're like, well, we're going to give up our scraps and get something back. What do you think a Goga-Duarte combo could net back? Uh, unfortunately, probably not a lot right now. Um, like, are we saying second rounder? Oh, man, it might be like a late first. It just depends on what team really wants him. I know there was a report out there or a rumor out there yesterday that Denver has interest in maybe adding Chris Duarte, which I think that can make some sense. You know, a playoff team trying to add some potential, you know, three-point shooting and defense out there. Um, I think Duarte played his best basketball with Sabonis, so having a guy like Jokic out there could, I mean, if you play with Jokic, everyone's going to benefit, but that kind of offensive style I think is more up his alley, but Goga is viewed as a negative asset right now. I mean, I think if the Pacers could have gotten a second-round pick out of Goga already, that that deal would have been done. So he isn't expiring, so he's just kind of a money filler here. To me, it's just like Duarte's value doesn't seem very high either. He is an intriguing prospect, but he is 25 years old, has really struggled with his role. He got his first ever uh, did-not-play coach's decision on Friday against the Kings, and then he had an ankle injury Sunday. So it uh, looks like he'll be probable to play for Wednesday's game against the Heat. But I just I just don't think his value is super high. But I think if you're really wanting to go out and maybe try to make a play at someone like an Ananobi, who's been rumored a lot, maybe a John Collins, then maybe you can find a package there. I think I think a Duarte go there with something and maybe a pick is more the avenue to go after a John Collins. But uh, it's going to take quite a bit. I think to get OG Ananobi, a player like that, with so many other teams having interest and just having a little bit more in terms of players uh, that the, the Raptors might like to go out and get. Because I just don't think the Pacers are super keen on trading a lot of their key players right now. But I don't know if I would consider Duarte a key player for them moving forward. Let me give you my um, kind of assessment of Duarte, and you tell me if you agree with it. Obviously, a gifted guy that is probably a 6 or a 7 in multiple categories. He's not a 9 or a 10 in any one area, but he's pretty versatile. But considering the success he had a year ago versus his lack of footing this year, my worry is that teams will see him as a guy that can thrive and play well when he is a focal point of a not very good team, but struggles in working his way in an orchestration with a team that has a lot of talent around him where he's asked to be a complimentary, and that will limit his value. Your thoughts? I think there's some truth in that, but I also think that we have to realize he's been really thrown into some weird rotations. He's been thrown into a weird role. Last year he was asked probably to do too much, and then he kind of held off there for a little bit, and they, they put him on the bench, and brought in Justin Holiday as the fifth starter with that group, and they were just trying to find all these different things, and Carlisle likes to play a lot of different combinations, so I know that it's not always consistently, you know, you're going to get these minutes. And then drafting Matherin, obviously Matherin's a more talented player. I really do believe Duarte could have had a better year, but we have to realize, too, dealt with that heel injury uh, that kept him out for last season, like for the last like 15 games, I think it was, dealt with it during summer league and, and was able to play in FIBA. But then after that, he gets that ankle injury and misses five to six weeks. So I think a lot of it has just been not been able to get consistently out there with um, just being healthy because even Carlisle said on Sunday that when he lands a certain way, it, that ankle is still bothering him. So 
you have to just kind of think maybe he's not fully healthy trying to buy into a new role. I think he's just a young player trying to figure it out. And we've seen a lot of sophomores from this year's class have that sophomore slump. So I think there's teams that are maybe hoping to add him to their roster and not have to pay very much for him. But I don't think he's a guy that can't figure it out because I think at the end of the day, he is a, he is a role player. He's a bench kind of guy, but he's, he's not a guy that's really going to move the needle for you in terms of that his starter, that kind of player. But I do think that there is talent there. Definitely belongs in an NBA roster. I just feel like maybe a team that could utilize what he does better than what the Pacers do might benefit him moving forward. Can Alex Golden's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline, uh, setting the pace, Pacers podcast, really good listen, and uh, at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Alex, what do you think they should be doing with Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith? Well, I think the problem is they started off so well and, and they got a lot of wins in you know November, December, that they kind of, to me, overlooked the developmental part of things and started focusing more on winning. And this whole season was about developmental. So they kind of had to change gears a little bit in the middle of the season. And now it's like Jalen Smith, he's not shooting the basketball well. They put him in the starting five, kind of put him in that Miles Turner role that Miles was playing with Domas, and he really struggled. And so then they started uh, realizing teams were putting their their centers on him and putting their forwards on on Miles and kind of keeping Miles from doing what he does, and that's attack centers that can't stretch the floor as well as he can and maybe guys he can take up the dribble. So that's why they went to the four-guard lineup because it just wasn't working for them. So I think with Isaiah Jackson, though, this is a guy that, Yes, he's primarily a center. He can't shoot the basketball. I mean, he's he's shown a, a little bit where he's been able to hit like a 15-footer. I would like to see them experiment more with him at the foursome. I, I know that they're wanting to play uh, Miles a lot of the five. Maybe just play him two or three minutes a game together on the court and see what that looks like defensively because defensively they need to improve. So I just feel overall they need to find a way to get them some minutes. And maybe if they trade in ties by the deadline, then – there shouldn't be a problem there with going back and forth, giving them those backup minutes, just getting them reps and getting them a chance to improve their game. But if Tice is still on the roster and they continue to play Tice over Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, if they're both on the roster as well, I think that is a big mistake because the future is not Daniel Tice. I think the future with those two especially is Isaiah Jackson. And then Jalen Smith, he still has value, but it's just kind of crazy to think that at the beginning of the offseason – they signed him to this deal, named him the starter at his press conference, and now he's basically in the same role he was in Phoenix. So it, it doesn't look good for how things have gone for him, and it's on him mostly, not on the coaching staff. But I do think that the shift from development to winning has really impacted their role, and I think they just need to continue to not lose sight of the big picture and give those guys the minutes they need to get better. Is Aaron Neesmith – a long-term starter for Indiana, or is that by necessity that he's getting that role right now? I think it's by necessity, and I don't mean to discredit Aaron Neesmith. He's a very streaky player. We'll see stretches where he's lights out and stretches where he's very inconsistent. I think his energy is something that would be beneficial coming off the bench. Um, we saw him off the bench this year, and he didn't play particularly well, but he was really shooting poorly at the beginning of the season. So I think playing him at the four is not something that's going to be reliable moving forward. You've got Tyrese, you know, Matherin's the future there at the two guard. 
and then you got Miles at the center. He could potentially play the three, but I, I still think that if Buddy Hill's in this roster, he should be getting those minutes over Neesmith, and they really need to find that power forward. I think Neesmith has been the best option for sure this year, but don't believe it's a long-term fit there with him as a, as a starter. I think he's more of a sixth, seventh man for the Pacers. I, mean, I think deep down they think that as well. Like, I mean, they wanted yeah. Jalen Smith to be the four that start this year. I kind of look at Neesmith, this might be a bad analogy, as kind of like that third down shifty running back. You know, change of pace guy, comes off the bench and provides a little bit of a spark. I think in an ideal world, that's what you would have. I, he has shown me, I, I think, some nice moments. I think you certainly got to fine-tune some things. But I think him and uh, Andrew Nemhart coming off the bench, that is the ideal scenario moving forward. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think I think Nemhard, you know, he's really done a good job as a starter. Um, those two have been your best perimeter defenders this season. So that's why they're starting, because the defense has been so bad. Um, and, and they've really been able to take on those challenges, and they don't need the ball offensively as much. They're more beneficiaries of what Tyrese and Buddy and Miles are doing. So, you know, I, I think that it's it's interesting because a lot of people are excited for what Nimhard could do with that second unit next year, maybe if he's given the keys to that second unit to kind of run it. But at the same time, we've heard Carlisle talk a lot about how much he likes having two ball handlers out there. So, it wouldn't surprise me if they keep him in the starting lineup next year. Uh, I think a lot of it just depends on what happens with Buddy Heald, if he's still a part of this roster long-term, and, and what kind of decisions they make in terms of trades and the draft, because there could be some, some players in the draft they, they want to see in that starting lineup if they go with a power forward type player. But based on how things went this year, you might see uh, you might see a rookie that, that's drafted in like the top 10 coming off the bench again, just trying to get their feet wet and like, maybe kind of earn the respect of uh, of Carlisle before he trusts him completely. I, I'm glad you brought up the, the draft. Again, Alex Golden is with us, uh, Setting the Pace is the podcast. You can find him on Twitter, at AlexGoldenNBA. Um, you know, right now you've got three first-round picks, Boston, Cleveland's, which by you know, all likelihood they're going to be somewhere in the 20s. Obviously you have your pick, which if you look at the lottery standings right now, the Pacers are tied for seventh in the lottery, really close to sixth, so it's not that far off from last season. I'm good with keeping the picks, but like I don't want to see all three spent on rookies. I think Kevin Pritchard would agree with that. I, I think you want to trade up higher into the lottery. If we were to say the Pacers are projected in that six-ish range, give us some names. I know there's a couple, Brandon Miller, um, Amen Thompson. Those are the two that I've kind of liked in that wing four role that I'm intrigued by. Give us some names that you would uh, want to keep an eye on in that range. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cam Whitmore's a name that was up there at the beginning of the year, and he's kind of fallen down a little bit. And he's a um, Villanova kid. Villanova, yeah, from Villanova. One kid to keep an eye on, too, is uh, from Houston, Jarris Walker, uh, number 25 for the Houston Cougars. He's been playing lights out, especially over like the last 10 games. I mean, he's putting up some really good numbers. He's about a six foot eight, six foot nine power forward type of player that I think would really fit well with this Pacers team. A lot of mock drafts and big boards I've seen have him in that six to eight range. I've even seen some people have him in their top five right now based on how he's improved. So he's someone that I really think I'd be intrigued by if I'm the Pacers. And, you know, everybody's excited about those top, like, six, seven, eight type of picks. But I still think there's some really interesting players that could be had maybe in the later lottery, maybe in the 15 to 20 range, 
Uh, a name to keep an eye on is from uh, uh, South Carolina, Gigi Jackson. Um, Jawan Howard's son, Jed Howard, is another big name that's kind of popped up in Michigan. Probably more people aren't familiar with him being in the Big Ten. And then another guy in the Big Ten, uh, Keegan Murray's brother, Chris Murray. He's having a really good season as well. And I think those are all guys you can get in that 10 to 20 range. And that's where those extra picks, like you mentioned, uh, KB, could be really beneficial for the Pacers because they could trade up and try to take two swings maybe uh, and with their pick and then packaging those picks to get back up into like the 12 to 15 range to maybe go after someone like that. And I think even someone that's not necessarily maybe like more power forward like is is Grady Dick um, out of Kansas. I think he's an interesting player as well. That could be uh, a lights out guy. I think he kind of fits that Carlisle mold. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of interesting talent in this roster, in this draft. I mean, so I think the Pacers would be smart not to overthink this and, and trade any of their future picks for this season uh, and just kind of see what they can do in the draft. Man, Grady Dick is going to be right there around, theoretically, if they hold on to it, where Indiana's going to be picking, right? I mean, I would think that he is a probably 6-12, to 12, somewhere in there, right? I mean, yeah. he, he can do a lot of things. He's very athletic. He is. Shoot it. He can shoot. Yeah, he's he's a pretty intriguing guy. Yeah, Kansas kid. Indiana yeah. fans will remember him. I think yeah, he had a pretty big game, if I'm not mistaken, against Indiana earlier this year. I'll uh, I'll go scout him when I'm out there. Oh yeah, you're going out there in a couple oh, weeks, yeah. aren't you? February 25th against West Virginia. Um, Alex, if you had to guess, over under one and a half Pacers get moved by three o'clock on Thursday. I will, I'll go over. I say at least two get moved. Interesting. Give me the two right now. Top of your head. Oh. You got to write them down. If you're exactly uh, right, you get a million bucks. Uh, boring, but go and Tice. Okay. Jake, you'd go under? Two centers. You'd go under one and a half? Are we, uh, let me ask you this. Are we determining, if are we considering a pick, a player? I thought you were going to say, are you considering Gogo a full player? <laughs> I thought you were going to call Gogo half. I, I think... Um, uh, just players. Let's let let's stick with that. One and a half players move by Thursday Under. at three o'clock. But Under. you but you think a pick? I think they could unload some picks. Interesting. I'll be really curious to see that sort of if they go that route. What that exactly looks like. Um, Alex, great stuff, man. Really appreciate the time. I know it's a busy week for you, and uh, I'm sure you guys will have us covered over at uh, setting the pace as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just real quick, one to say we had Andrew Nimhart on the podcast yesterday, so check that out if you haven't. And we got Bob Kravitz coming on tonight to talk about what happened in Memphis and just talk about the deadline. So uh, appreciate you guys having me on as always, and look forward to the next time. Quite the fall from Nimhart to Kravitz, but totally understand that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, no, no doubt about it. No offense to Bob, but yeah, you know, right, good goaltender though, if you need that. Uh, thank you, Alex. Okay, yeah.